Hey, uh, hey guys, good to see you today. How you doing today? All right, thank you for a little life over there. Appreciate it. it. 80 degrees outside, why are we in here, right? Is that the, uh, the driving question? Um, straight up, it is good to see you. Thanks for coming. Um, it's just good to be able to gather about this today. We're, we're hitting a huge topic today, and, it, and it's one that strikes at the heart and core of, I think, a lot of people's difficulty with God and, and, and frustration with God, and, and, and maybe one of the biggest stumbling blocks people have um, to even the conception of God, and this is it. It's evil and suffering. Um, we're going to be talking about evil and suffering today and how that fits with the concept of a God who is good and right in what he does and all-powerful. And you know, I don't want to speak for you guys, but in my experience, this has been the biggest roadblock to people in not only believing in God, but even if they believe in the concept of him, in trusting him. You know what I mean? Um, at the very least, it's often the biggest excuse I've seen put up by people of why they don't. And, and what I find interesting about this, this argument, this concept, is that people think it's new. It is no it's only been in the last couple of hundred years, because everything before that, of course, is like prehistoric, um, that, that people have actually thought about this critically. And what I hope you realize today is that this is not new. This struggle, this question has been going on for people since time memorial. And guys, I want to let you know this too. This struggle and this question is central to a lot of wits written in here. So many people I meet feel like somehow they're betraying a faith in God or they're afraid to admit they have this struggle. But I'm here to tell you that the biblical writers drop a lot of ink wrestling with this subject of God in the presence of things like suffering and evil. The last several weeks, we've been talking about this thing called the exile, right? It's this moment in ancient Israel's history, 587 BC is the key date. And I've been trying to, to, to impress on you guys that at this time in history, everything, everything, okay? In case you missed it, everything for Israel changed. Because what happened in 587 BC is Babylon came in. They overtook the land. They destroyed it. They pillaged it. They laid siege to Jerusalem. They kicked down the walls. They kicked down the doors. They deposed the king. They burned the temple to the ground. They dragged the people who survived off in exile. And you got to imagine what it had to be like for an Israelite living through this. Crying out the questions, where is God in all of this? How could God allow something like this to happen? How can God let someone as evil as Babylon come in against us who are supposed to be your people and everything in between? And that's what we're going to be talking about today. Insights and perspectives that ancient Israel came to on how God can be faithful and good and right and powerful in the midst of things like suffering and evil. So a couple things off the bat. First, I think it's really important that we keep a distinction between suffering and evil. Because while they're often related, they are in fact not the same thing. Off the cuff, suffering is basically pain. 
Would you agree? It's feeling things, facing things, it's pain, be it, be it physical or be it psychological, that we just don't like and we just don't want. That's not quite the same as evil. Evil is something different. See, evil is anything that's contrary to God's will, that's in rebellion to God's will or his created order. And oftentimes there's a lot of overlap or cause and effect in these things, but they are in fact distinct. I'll give you an example of what I mean. The health club my family and I belong to, I recently signed up for a class. Biggest mistake of my life, all right? Sorry, just hit my mic button. Um, the class, it's called boot camp. Um, you, you hear these things? They go by different names, but this is basically what boot camp is. Well, they look at the military boot camp, you know, the various branches, and they pick the worst PT exercises out of them. Then they get a bunch of sadists in the room to devise other exercises that they can combine on top of it, and then they convince you to pay money to come to it every week, okay? This is boot camp. What it basically is, it's, it, it's circuit training of a sort where they set up these different stations and you go at it like full board, hardcore for, 50, for 60 seconds. Then you take 15 seconds to kind of go, get to the next one and go 60 seconds again. Now, I consider myself to be someone in, in at least relatively decent physical condition I run, I bike, I lift, I swim, I've done triathlons, I like the active life. This thing is killing me. I mean, you wouldn't think they have these, these who comes up with this? They find like a tractor tire. They go out into some field and they find some abandoned tractor tire that's like six feet tall and they say, pick it up. You ever try to pick up a tractor tire? Pick it up. Now jump in it and jump over it. Now pick it up again. Jump in it, jump over it. Now pick it up again. Jump in it, jump over it. Because once, I guess, wasn't enough. It's like that guy in Greek mythology. What is it, Sisyphus, where he has to push the stone up the hill and it rolls down? And you feel like you're in this veritable hell. And you do this for 60 seconds, and then they go, okay, now you see that 16-pound sledgehammer? Beat on it for 60 seconds because... Well, honestly, you want to kind of beat on it afterward because it's that miserable. And there's kickboxing and there's push-ups and there's strength training and these, these, these abhorrent ab exercises that some fiend has developed. It is the most suffering-induced, pain-filled experience that I have ever embraced. But I wouldn't call it evil. I call it evil in the midst of it. Uh, and I am convinced that the instructor is the spawn of hell. But beside, you, you know what I mean? Do you see what I'm saying here? There is a lot of suffering with boot camp, but I wouldn't call it evil. And I think as we go into this question today, it, it, it's, it's vitally important that we keep this distinction in mind. Suffering and evil, while often related, are not the same Thing. Which brings us to a second point. I think we're far more concerned with suffering than with evil. In contrast, I think God is much more concerned with evil than with suffering. To a person, I bet every one of us here 
would do away with suffering in an instant, even if it meant evil remained. I think many of us here could accept evil, embrace evil, and even do evil if it meant that our suffering would be less. God, on the other hand, is more concerned with evil. God would rather root out evil, confront evil, and let suffering remain. So it's some basic fundamental line. I think it's important to remember that when we talk about God in the midst of suffering and evil, our agendas are not necessarily the same. While we're concerned with suffering, he's concerned with evil, and that means our goals might be different. Does that make sense? And third, I think it's important to say this. Sometimes when you're in so much pain, nothing that anyone will ever say will ever make a difference. Because sometimes you just need anesthesia. Sometimes all the explanations and the arguments will never make a difference because the pain is just so great. Guys, you remember this when you had your first child, right? And you're holding your wife's hand in the delivery room and you're trying to explain to her reasonably about the process of childbearing and and the joy that's to come and remind her of like all the breathing exercises and then she gets this demonic voice that goes, get me drugs, (laughs) Right? Because sometimes we're in so much pain in this world that explanations just won't make any difference. And I bring that up because as we go into this today, what I am not going to share with you is anesthesia. If you need anesthesia today, come and find me after this service and I will talk with you and pray with you and we'll find that together. What I want to give to you today is something different. What I want to share to you with you today is how ancient Israel wrestled with the argument. How they wrestled with the concepts of how a God who is good and right and powerful can be found and operates and more than that can be trusted in the face of things like suffering and evil. And because it is probably the primary question for us. We're going to deal here today with the question of suffering more than the question of evil, but a special kind of suffering. We're going to talk about suffering as it relates to Israel, as it relates to evil, because Israel sought the God of this universe deeply in their time of suffering in the face of their evil. And I think there's a lot that we can learn from what they have to say. Now, when you read the literature of the Bible written at this time of exile, written at this time of suffering, you are not going to find a singular answer to the problem of suffering as it, as it stems from evil. Instead, you're going to find several perspectives. And each of these perspectives get, get highlighted among a particular piece of literature that you'll find in the Bible, and that's what I'm going to share with you today. There's three of them specifically that I'd like to share, and the first is this. Why do we suffer? Well, Israel said this, sometimes it is simply 
a consequence of evil behavior. Now, this is what the prophets are obsessed with. You find its clearest expression in an ancient book called Deuteronomy, but the prophets at the time of the exile were obsessed with this. They were obsessed with the notion that God is just. And the definition of just is that you get what you deserve. So if you do good, you will be blessed. If you do evil, you will be punished. You will be cursed. And what these ancient Israelites said is that sometimes we suffer because we deserve it. Because it's our own fault. I mean, think about this for a minute. Do you remember that prayer we prayed just a little bit ago? Um, it went like this, most merciful God, we confess that we are by nature sinful and unclean. Did, did, you, did you actually pay attention to that one line? We justly deserve your present and eternal punishment. You don't have to show me your hands, but I'm curious. Did you actually say that? If you did, do you actually believe that? That you justly deserve it? That if God is just, yeah, he should justly punish you. And did you catch the word present? See, we always think of it as something future, don't we? But we justly deserve your present and eternal punishment. What ancient Israel said is that sometimes we suffer as a consequence for our own evil behavior. Let me just share this one passage out of Deuteronomy. It kind of stands at the heart of what all the prophets have to say. God says this through Moses, see, I sent before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I commanded you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, to keep his commands, decrees, and laws, that you will live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you. But if you turn your hearts away and are not obedient and are drawn to bow down to other gods and worship them today, I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. Ouch. But there's no getting around it. God is just. And sometimes we suffer for our actions. Now, when you see this expressed in the Bible, it happens in a couple of different ways. Sometimes it happens because God just comes in and he punishes. I think of this one story. It's the time of the Exodus. They're out in the wilderness together, and there's this priest. His name is Korah, and he rises up in rebellion against Moses. God shows up on the scene, and he punishes Korah in his rebellion. You know how he does it? It says the earth opens from underneath them and swallows them whole. Because when God punishes, he does it with style, right? You see that sometimes, but you know, far more often, it's a different kind of thing. Far more often, the punishment we receive or the, the suffering that we endure for our evil behavior is a consequence of evil behavior. 
It's kind of like the parent, right? The parent who says to their, to their child, don't play in traffic and, and don't drink the bleach in the laundry room, right? Is it because it's some arbitrary rule that the parent made up and if they were to drink the bleach in the laundry room, they're going to go, that's it. No, it's because the parent knows this is going to hurt you. You are going to suffer if you do this. Do you realize, guys, that this is why God gives commands? Because he wants to protect you. He doesn't want you to suffer because there are consequences for our behavior. And Israel discovered in the exile, this is one reason why we are suffering here today. Now, straight up, straight up, does that just make you horribly uncomfortable? Or what? I mean, straight up, does it scare you? I mean, it does me. You know, the, uh, the prophets actually have an answer to this kind of suffering and a solution to that kind of fear. Do you, you want to hear it? It's this. The prophets will say this. Repent. Stop doing it. Throw yourself on God's mercy. Throw yourself into his way. Follow his paths. Stop doing it and save yourself a whole lot of suffering because God is merciful and God is gracious and God is not a God who delights in punishing. So stop going that way. And I encourage you, if you are here and you are suffering today, Take an assessment of your life. Take an assessment and look to see. Am I suffering as a result of my own evil behavior? And if you are, throw yourself on God's mercy. Reorient your path and start following his way today. It's one perspective. There's a second. A second perspective, and it finds its, its expression in a body of literature written at the time of exile that's often called wisdom literature. It finds expressions in books like Job and Ecclesiastes, books like Proverbs and, 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 and others. And it says this, sometimes we suffer as a result of living in a foreign world. Sometimes we, we suffer as a result of living in a fallen, corrupt universe. Sometimes we suffer because it's our own fault. But that's not all the time, is it? Arguably, is it even most of the time? The way I kind of like to think of this one, sometimes we suffer simply because we find ourselves caught in the blast radius of other evil, fallen people. I love what Ecclesiastes has to say as it brings expression to this. Just listen to this. Solomon writes, So I reflected on all this and concluded that the righteous and the wise and what they do are in God's hands. But no one knows, no one knows whether love or hate awaits them. 
all share a common destiny. The righteous and the wicked, the good and the bad, the clean and the unclean, those who offer sacrifices and those who do not. It would be easy to follow God. People would be doing it in droves, wouldn't they, if it always resulted in blessing? You know as well as I do, it's just not the way the world works. Sometimes we see justice come, but oftentimes the evil prosper. And oftentimes the good die young. Oftentimes, Deuteronomy doesn't work. And ancient Israel, they weren't ignorant to it. And you can read in this, this entire body of exilic wisdom literature, as it's called in the Bible, them wrestling with this. And this is what they said. This is what they would say. We know the promise that, gold's, that God holds out, but we see that this is a reality in this world. So you know what it calls for here and now? Wisdom. Dealing with this calls for wisdom. Hence the name wisdom literature. It calls for wisdom to see beyond the veil. To go that even though God's justice might not happen now, it'll happen someday. Even though God's justice might not be delivered now, God is nonetheless just and will bring it in a day to come. Even though all evidence now speaks to the contrary, have wisdom to know that God is still involved, that God is behind the scenes, that he is faithful, and his Torah is worth following, even if it doesn't bring immediate benefit to me. And so these writers would look to a future day. A day when something like Deuteronomy might come to pass. A day when true justness was done. But in the meantime, calling out to God for his wisdom to help them understand, to help guide, and to help make sense of things. Maybe some of you are here suffering today. You're suffering and it has nothing to do with you. You're suffering in the blast radius of someone else's evil. You're suffering in the blast radius of a fallen world. You're, you're suffering randomly. And you're crying out, God, what, what do I do? what these writers would encourage you to do is this. Trust God. To trust that God is the God he says he is, even when the evidence speaks contrary. To follow him. To seek his wisdom. To know that he is involved, even if behind the scenes, and even if not immediate, God's goodness will come true. It's a second perspective that those in exile came to. 
Here's the final. Just painting this in broad strokes, here's the final. Other writers said this, and you can find this throughout the Bible. Sometimes you suffer because you are a person of God. You suffer precisely because you are one who trusts God. Because sometimes our suffering in this world comes because we deserve it. And sometimes this suffering comes in this world because the world has fallen. But sometimes your suffering comes because, well, you've been targeted. There's forces of evil in this world, and you know what? They're out to get you. Sounds paranoid, right? It's not paranoid if it's true. Anyone who is a follower of God has a bullseye on their heart and a bullseye on their back, and the forces of this world are sniping for you. Jesus says, the student is not above the teacher. It is enough for the student to be like his master. If they have done this to me, how much more will they do to you? And sometimes you will suffer in this world simply because of the God to whom you are loyal and to whom you seek to hold true. An entire body of literature in the Bible devised and developed around this called apocalyptic. And here's how it would go. It would be books like Daniel, books like Revelation, uh, chunks of the prophets and, and, and other places. And it went like this. There is no hope for Deuteronomy in this life. The justice that we want to see in this world, it will never fully come to pass. And the only solution, the only solution is for God to intervene for God to radically intervene, to insert himself into history, to come down, to set all things right, to bring his goodness to pass. But until then, there will be suffering. And maybe you find yourself in that place today. Maybe you find yourself suffering precisely because you are seeking to be obedient to God and follow his ways. What does the apocalyptic literature have to say to you? Hang in there. Hang in there. Hold tough. I love how Revelation puts it. Be faithful unto the point of death because I will give you a crown of life. Hang in there because the day is gonna come when God will set all things right again. And though you suffer now and are handed over for a time, the day is coming when God will intervene. The day is coming when all things will be set right again. Ancient Israel did not give one answer to the reason of suffering in this world. It gave perspectives these are the major three. Now, to close this off, I want to give you three observations concerning these three right here, okay? Three things to just keep in mind as you kind of wrestle with this and try to put the pieces together. Observation one is this. Not all three of those former situations, those former perspectives, not all apply to every situation. 
To look at any instance of suffering in this world and to apply all three is a catastrophic mistake. All three are not true all the time. Are you with me? The real art in this, the real trick in this is knowing which to apply to the appropriate situation because to misapply one is at best misleading and is at worst catastrophic. To go up to some mom who's standing at the graveside of her nine-month-old and say, your child is here probably because of something he did, is not true. It is applying the wrong perspective to the equation. However, to go up to someone who is just leading a path of destruction in their life and wondering why their, their, their spouse has left them and their kids want nothing to do with them and they're lonely and they're miserable and to go, well, sometimes we just suffer in this world isn't doing them any favors either. Knowing which to apply at the right time is absolutely key. And guys, this calls for, well, wisdom. It calls for wisdom. Wisdom laced with a whole lot of guidance by God's spirit. Perspective two, observation two. You determine the trajectory of your life. You might not be able to determine whether you will suffer, but you will certainly determine what to do about it. I never cease to be amazed at the stories of people in in prison camps who have come out of concentration camps who have come out of just miserable, abject suffering and persecution in this world and have come out with strength and character and with a joy of the Lord in their life is their strength. And I never cease to be amazed at other people in this world who get the equivalent of a spiritual hangnail and turn it on themselves and in misery and self-pity. Guys, how you respond to your suffering is fundamentally up to you. When it comes, will you honestly assess yourself and humbly stand before it? Will you endure it if there's nothing you can do about it patiently? Will you call on the name of the Lord and find his joy as your strength? Or will you do what Job's wife suggested, just curse God and die? Because the trajectory is in your hands of which path you'll take. And finally, companionship is essential. There are so many of you here that suffer and so many of you are suffering alone. What ancient Israel realized It's just not right to suffer alone. Because God's at work in this world and that work is often through other people. And what ancient Israel discovered is that there is strength in God's people. There's encouragement in God's people. There's alleviation of suffering that can be found in other people. 
God brings help in our midst. Companionship is essential. Because fundamentally, if you suffer alone, I need to ask, do you enjoy suffering? There's no getting around it. We're going to suffer in this world. We're going to suffer for a variety of reasons. It's not if, but when. So many people go through life thinking this is the big hang-up to God, that God has nothing to say, but I want to encourage you today in your suffering and in the suffering of other people you know, God has something powerful to say. This, this is an overview. This scratches the surface. This is to orient you to a path. God has something to say to your suffering. And if you are suffering here today, I invite you to the journey that ancient Israel stepped on. See what God has to say. Again, sift his words because I tell you there is something powerful God will bring. God will bring into its midst. You know, uh, God suffered too. You ever really think about that? God is good, I agree. God is powerful, I agree. God is righteous, I agree. God suffers too. So often we put God on the other side of the equation of suffering. But then I think of this meal that we're about to take and what it represents and what it means and listen to the words that one of those ancient Christians said where he, he recounted that on the, on the night Jesus was to be betrayed, he took bread. He broke it. He gave it to his disciples and he said, take and eat because I'm going to suffer and die for you. And he took a cup and he gave thanks because Jesus knew number two. He gave thanks to God in the midst of his suffering and he gave it to them and he said, drink of this, all of you. Share in my cup, share in my suffering, but drink of this, all of you, because this is my blood and it's shed for you. I suffer and shed my blood for you and it is for the forgiveness of all of your sins. Brothers and sisters, when you suffer, remember what Jesus said with this meal. Remember me. And so today I welcome you to his table. The table of the one who gave his life for you. So wow. Uh, invite you to rise. And, and as we begin to commune today, we're, we're going to do something just a little bit differently. You see that first slide up there? 
We've been saying Isaiah 41 for a while. It's this amazing prayer from the people in exile. But today we're gonna pray another prayer. It's a prayer from a man named Paul who was also in exile, who had something incredible and something insightful to say. I want to invite you to say these words with me, to make them your prayer today. Let them hit you. Let them speak to you. Let, let God have something to say. As we're saying it, ushers will begin to invite you forward. Let's pray. <clears throat> 